Good evening. It's been a long day. You've been sitting and listening and learning. You've been soaking things up like a sponge that's dropped in water. And so hopefully when ministry starts to squeeze you, that some of what you've heard over yesterday and today will pour out to those around you. Because remember, the reason we come from all the way around the world, from Good Shepherd here to Orissa, and the reason we pour the knowledge and the learning that we have been given by others into you is so that you, in turn, can then pour into the people in your churches and your communities. Because just as we are called by God to teach, and in this case to teach you, you as shepherds of God's flock are called to also teach and to equip those around you. And as we fellowship with you, as we talk with you, as we see the work and the ministry that you are doing here in Orissa, it gives us energy and it gives us inspiration to take back to America and to share with the people there how you are impacting the kingdom here. Because the knowledge and the teaching that I may give to you in my mind it's nothing compared to the ministry that you do in your context every single day. Because 
Because to me, and to Pastor Talbot, and to the people of Good Shepherd, especially the ones who have been here with you, you men and you women are our spiritual heroes. Your faithfulness transcends, goes around the world and inspires people who you will never even know. So remember that when things get hard or it gets frustrating or you feel like you're not seeing any fruit result from your ministry. You are laboring in the fields of God's kingdom. And you are planting seeds or watering seeds that may not grow for another generation or two. Or you may be the one who God calls to harvest what comes in and you may see revival and people coming in mass to know the Lord. But all of those positions along the chain, all of those points in the harvest are necessary. The one who plants, the one who waters, the one who harvests. And we will talk about harvesting a little more in just a few minutes. But I want to sum up what we've looked at yesterday and today with the whole of Torah and the law. The law that God gave to Israel through Moses. It was the national charter, the constitution, the, the, the nation's founding document. It was the treaty between the great suzerain who had redeemed them and the vassal who was to live as a grateful servant. And so the purpose of the covenant was to bring Israel in to conquer and to cleanse and then to keep 
the land that God was bringing them to. So that by living in faithful relationship with God in the land, Israel would be a model or an image of what it looked like for all the nations to live in relationship with God throughout the world. The promise God made to the seed of Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed was an unconditional promise. It would happen. The nations would be reached by the seed of Abraham. But the covenant God made with the particular seed of Abraham known as Israel was entirely conditional and required their obedience. And if Israel disobeyed and broke this covenant, they would lose any and all claims to the land that God brought them. And this is exactly what happened when they did break the covenant and God did eject them from the land. But all along, all the way back from the beginning, when he gave them the covenant, God had known that they would be unfaithful to the covenant, that they would lose their claim to being the covenant people of God. And God had provided a way that that covenant claim could be restored in the new covenant that would come after repentance. So that's why at the Passover meal, 
that Jesus celebrated with his disciples, which was to commemorate them coming out of Egypt and receiving the covenant. At the point in which they were supposed to lift up the cup and drink to the old covenant, to the covenant God had given them through Moses. That had been made through the blood of bulls and goats and sheep. Jesus lifted up the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Made with my blood which is poured out for you and for many. So every time you do this, every time you celebrate the Passover, Remember, he was speaking to Jews only at the time. As all of his first followers were. He said, as often as you celebrate this Passover, do it in remembrance of me. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that the Old Covenant had looked forward to. And by looking back to the Old Covenant and the law and the celebrations and the people of Israel, God's people could better understand the character and the mission and the purpose of the Messiah as they live in the new covenant. So we should never preach from the old covenant, the old testament, without showing how it relates to us under the new testament. And we should never preach from the New Testament without showing people how that sits upon the foundation that was laid in the Old Testament. Because as Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired. So when you preach, when you teach, when you study, do it from both testaments. 
Because both testaments speak to God's people today. Even if they speak in slightly different ways. The Old Testament laws. I want to talk about how to teach and preach from the Old Testament laws. You know those laws about how you should plant your crops or what types of food you should eat or what types of clothes you should wear. Or how servants should be treated, servants or slaves should be treated in Israel society. Or how property and ownership should be treated in Israel society. Or about how foreigners or immigrants should be treated in Israel society. All of these were given to Israel at that time for our benefit today. Because while the covenants may change with the coming of Jesus, the covenant maker and the purpose of that covenant does not change. So our challenge when we teach and preach from the Old Testament laws is to look into and study those laws in their context in Israel under the covenant of Moses and not then to simply tell our people today keep these laws our people today are not Israel and we're not living under the Mosaic Covenant the 
The law of Mount Sinai was never given to me or to you. It was given to the people of Israel at that time in that part of the world. So that they at that time would be the type of society that lived out God's holiness and God's character in the sight of all of their neighbors around them. And now today in Christ Jesus we have been brought into the new Israel. Not a new Israel that replaces an old Israel. But the true Israel founded within Jesus as the Messiah that fulfills the old covenant Israel. So even though we don't live under the old covenant laws anymore, they are still our scriptures. They proclaim our God. And they point the world to our Messiah, the true Messiah, the true Israel. And they can only do that for us today as long as we remember to look at them through the lens, through the window of Jesus. This is why we don't keep certain laws within the Old Covenant, but we do keep others. Because the laws that we keep are the ones that continue and to continue to reflect the character and the will of God for his people today. And the ones that we don't keep, we don't keep them because Jesus brought them to their proper conclusion in fulfillment in Him. So we can still look to those laws, even the ones we no longer keep.
We can see and study and learn the principle contained within that law at that time. Because the principle never changes because it reflects the eternal nature of God. So then we take that principle out of that setting at that time. And we bring it into our setting in our time and see how it may apply to us today. When we learn to do this basic basic principle, this basic thing, the law opens up to us so many possibilities of ways that we can preach and teach. And so instead of skipping over the end of Exodus and all of Leviticus and all of Deuteronomy because it's boring or confusing, we go back into those books and we slow down and we soak them in. We enter into that world of the covenant of the law. And we find new ways and new um, new details about our faith today that we never even knew were there. For the past three and a half years, every week on Tuesdays at lunchtime, I've led a Bible study that goes through, starting in Genesis 1, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's only 30 minute study because it has to be done on the lunch break for the people that work in the area. But every week we've continued starting in Genesis. And last month we just finished Leviticus. 
three and a half years, I have been leading these people through the story of Israel. And when I read the New Testament, when I step out of that study and go to the New Testament, I see so many things that I would never have noticed before. You can read just the New Testament and get the message of salvation. But reading and, and, and preaching from just the New Testament is like watching an old black and white TV. Like a really old TV from from years and years and years ago where you can you can see the picture, you know what's going on, but it's very blurry. How many of you watch cricket on How many of you have ever seen tape or film of old cricket games from back when things were in black and white? You could still see the game. You could still know the score. You could see the basic plays that your favorite players were making. And if, that, if that's all you had ever seen before, you would think it was amazing as people did back then. But if you've ever been into a store and seen a modern cricket match, played on a big screen HD high definition television you can see colors and details and tiny things that you never would have seen on a small TV you notice when your favorite player is sweating because you can see the single drop of sweat pour down his face if there's a play that's in dispute, you can see it slowed down frame by frame in complete detail. Slow 
and the colors you see jump off the screen and hit you right in the face and overwhelm you. For many sports, it's even better to watch them on these high definition TVs than if you were there watching them in person. Because of all these details and camera angles and little nuances that you pick up that you would never have seen if it's just you on your own. That's what it's like when you read and study the Old Testament. And then you come and read the New Testament. The life of Jesus and the apostles goes from black and white on a grainy little TV to full definition color. And you enter into the story of Israel and you feel as if you're a part of this long history of God's people. Because you are learning where you came from. And you are learning your family's history. Because if you are in Christ Jesus, you are the seed of Abraham. And you are and you are heirs to the promises God made to Abraham's seed. I did not make this up. This is exactly what Paul tells the Galatians. So we read, we study. And we preach from the Old Testament. But in order to do that, we have to take five steps that I'm going to give you. So write these down because these will be important in your ministry.
I'm, I'm recording this on audio, so I'm telling the people that are listening who aren't here that Rohini's lovely new bride has come up, and she will be writing these down on the board in Oriya so that all of the pastors can see them and can take notes as well. That's for the people listening who aren't here to see this. <laughs> you can explain that to them. Okay, are we ready? Here are five questions that you need to ask whenever you start to preach or teach the Old Testament law. The first question, and it's the hardest of all of the five. You have to ask, what did this law or this passage mean to them at the time? So for short, just say, what did it mean to them? So what did it mean to them? You see, if we don't know what it meant to them, we will never understand what it can mean to us. Or we'll come up with our own ideas about what we think it should mean, which it would never have meant to the first people that received the law. Now remember my example that I gave earlier this afternoon with the rubies and the notes? You remember that? If I, I, if I didn't know the background of what was going on in India and the controversy with the black money, I would not know what's going on or how to interpret this law. So this is where it's important to learn and to study things like history and archaeology and the language of the time. So 
To have a good study Bible with notes that tell you these things or a commentary by, written by a scholar that explains what was going on at the time and the passage that you're reading. When I teach through the biblical books like I do, I use at least five, six different commentaries just to give you an idea. Now I realize you may be limited in what is available in your language or in your area. But there are resources in English and in other languages that if we a good shepherd can help get into your hands through your leaders, we're happy to do that. But regardless, even if you can't understand all of the meaning of a text, as long as you ask the question, what did it mean to them first, you are beginning on the right track. Now here is a very simple point that I will tell you that you probably already know. If you don't know the answer to question number one about your passage, if you don't know the answer to that question, Look at me, everyone look at me. If you can't answer that question about your text, do not preach that passage until you do. Because that is how cults and, and heresy movements start. Someone reads a passage and comes up with an idea of what they think it means. And 
And they preach it with passion and with boldness and with And they're completely wrong. Don't do that with your people. Listen to me. You cannot teach. Say this. You cannot teach what you do not know. So if you only understand five passages in the Old Testament, then you preach those five passages to your people. While at the same time, you do everything you can to learn more from other people who do know more. Do you think the things that I teach you when I come here every year, I came up with? Do you think I'm the one who discovered all of this symbolism in the tabernacle and the temple? No, I rely on those who have come before me and those who have expertise in the areas that I do not. And so you should all do the same to the degree that you've been given. Even if you only have a small bit of knowledge, you be faithful with that small bit of knowledge while you do everything you can to see it grow. The next question, we need to move on because time is short. The next thing we ask, after we've learned what the text meant to them, we then ask, what are the differences in the setting between them back then and us today? Okay, 
जो शास्त्रांश अपन You see, we are not Israel living in the Middle East under the Old Covenant. We live in a different country with different laws. We live under a different covenant that has been fulfilled in our Messiah Jesus. We no longer have a temple that we go to and bring animals for sacrifice. So it's just as important for you to realize and take note of the differences between the setting back then and the setting today that you are preaching. The third question that we ask. What is the underlying or foundational principle or concept in the text? Are we ready? Are we yes, set over yes, here? Yes, yes, Good, because yes. I need to keep talking. Yes, yes. Okay, listen. Listen. This is an important question to ask. This is the most important question to ask. You have to find the principle that the law was intending to communicate to Israel then. Before you can then pull that law out, that principle out, and apply it in your setting today. There's one more question of preparation that you then must ask, the fourth question. That question is, how does this text, how does this text get modified or changed elsewhere in scripture? So for example, laws in the Old Testament about foods you can eat. We realize in the New Testament Jesus declared all foods clean. 
Because in the new covenant, it's not what goes into your body that pollutes and defiles you. But it's what comes out of your mouth and out of your hands and your actions that's what defiles you. So that's an example, just one example, of how you would need to filter your text through the New Testament teaching before you then decide to preach on it. I know I didn't say all that. Yeah, I make them to understand. <laughs> yes, yes. This is your elaborating, the Rohini translation. <laughs> so then, now, after those questions have been answered, you're, you're now ready to ask the final question. And that question is, how do we, how might we apply the text's principle or concepts in our setting today? This is how you preach from the Old Testament law. This is how Paul taught from the Old Testament law. Let's look at an example of this in the New Testament. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians, this section we're looking at, Paul is responding to some criticism that he has heard from some people in Corinth. And the criticism is that he should be working and not receiving from people money or, or financial, financial compensation. And 
ए प्रकार जो समालोचना कले पाउलों को सही समय पाउल की प्रकार प्रति उत्तर दो चंदे तार उन्हें नमूना अब मैंने पुरातनों के नियमों को उत्तर तो करिया कर मैंने पूछिया पैसा And so he is being judged. He is being condemned by some people as as taking advantage of the church by receiving from them. He's being criticized for peddling the gospel for sale. Read his response in chapter nine, verses three through fourteen. भोजन पान Now, why 
would call, quote, a law about animals. To make a point about paying preachers and teachers. He quotes this very same law again in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verses 17 through 20. So we know that this was part of Paul's regular teaching when it came to the subject of preachers and teachers being paid. But what does putting a muzzle on an ox have to do with feeding or paying a preacher or a teacher? How many of you have ever seen or used an ox or a cattle or a goat to tread out grain? So, see, when I preach this in America, no one knows what that's talking about. Because all of our grain is done by machine. So this is totally different than the context of the people I speak and preach to. So in order for this text to make sense, I have to bring them back into the world of the Old Testament. I have to describe for them how in the times of the Old Testament and even today around the world, grain is tread in a circular pit. And then as the animal walks around in a circle dragging a heavy stone behind him, and 
that the grain is crushed and crunched and the kernels are separated from the chaff, the husk that's useless. And then after hours and hours of that, then that whole pile can be taken and winnowed by being thrown up into the wind where the chaff can be blown away and the heavy grain falls to the back, back to the ground. And I have to explain to them that a smart businessman, a smart farmer in the ancient world would put a muzzle on the animal that was treading the grain. Now why would he put a muzzle on the animal? So that the animal won't eat the profits of the farmer. God tells Israel, you, my people, you will not put a muzzle on the ox of your animal. While it is treading out your grain. That's all the law says. That's it. God just says, don't muzzle the ox while it treads the grain. Because the people back then, they would know exactly what you know today. And they would understand the implications, they would understand the concept that was being communicated. That if the animal is the one doing the work, that the animal deserves to eat from the thing that it is producing. But 
Because the animal is the worker, the animal should receive something that it is creating. So Paul sees in that law about animals something about God and what he desires in his people. They see the he sees the principle that the worker deserves their wages. And Paul reasons if that applies to animals. How, how much more should it apply to people who are laboring and working? If someone is laboring and, and, and overseeing, shepherding the body of Jesus Christ, and providing for their spiritual needs, then those people absolutely should be providing for the physical needs of the one who is laboring. So that this person can continue to labor among them without having to take another job just to feed their family. And this is how God's people will take care of God's leaders, just like Israel took care of the Levites by bringing them their offering. Now I think in a room full of preachers, I've just found your new favorite text to preach. But it's important to realize that this text is not saying that preachers and teachers should get rich. Because that animal treading out that grain was only to receive what it could eat at the time. The animal didn't get to take mouthfuls of grain and put them off to the side and build up a huge wealth of its own. It 
The amount of grain that the animal would eat was fairly small compared to the amount of grain that the animal was producing. I say this because in America and elsewhere in the world, there are preachers who point to this passage and then use it to justify telling their people that they should give them all of the money that they can. And the preachers make great fortunes of money. Some even have their own private airplanes or helicopters. While the people in their churches can barely survive day to day. Listen to me. That is a lie. That is a heresy from Satan himself. And that is completely the opposite of the way Jesus lived his life on this earth. So, so if you hear a preacher on the radio or TV or the internet or somewhere around you teaching this concept that preachers should be rich, Rebuke them and tell your people to have nothing to do with that sort of heresy. Because it is a cancer that is eating away at the body of Christ all over the world, even as we speak. But the point that I want you to see as we close, because we're out of time now, is how Paul takes the principle found within a law that seems to have nothing to do with the situation he's talking about. He sees the eternal truth that's contained within that law. And he then takes and applies that to his situation where there's a similar need for that truth to be taught. 
आउ जो परिस्थिति रे से अछंती सेई परिस्थिति रे खापो खुआइला भली सेई किसो को उद्धुत करी पुरातन नियम रो व्यवस्था रानी से स्थान रे एपरी प्रयोग करंती एवं शिक्षा दियंती जहा की समर्थक निमंत हितजनक एवं लाभजनक होई पाइबो सो एज आई लीव यू दिस ईयर आउ ए वर्ष जतले म आपमान को छाई देई जाउ छी I'll leave you with a homework assignment. I want you to take a passage from the law. And I want you to study it. I want you to find out the principle that this law is giving Israel at that time. And then I want you to see how you can teach that that principle in your setting with your people today. And so next year when I come back, I want to hear stories of how you taught this passage to your people. And I want to hear how your community or at least your church and your village were transformed by this passage from God's word. The passage, that the law that I would like for you to study and pull the principle out of is Leviticus chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 22. Leviticus. Leviticus. 23:22 I want you to look at this passage. I want you to see elsewhere in scripture where this passage may be referenced or alluded to. And I want you, using whatever resources you may have, your study Bible or pastors that you know that have studied this text in more detail. I want you to pull out the principle that this law teaches. I want you to talk with each other tonight or tomorrow about what you think the principle in this law could be and get ideas from each other. 
आपण मार परस्पर एक आरोप मध्ये कथाबार्ता करू सेई विषय आलोचना करू किपरे एई शास्त्रांसर आमने बहुत प्रकार नुतनतम चिंता धारा पाळत आपण पाई पाला आ जो सिद्धांत कुणी आमने प्रयोग करिया पे सक्षम होई पाई And then I want you to come up with a sermon, with a way that you would teach or preach this principle to your people that makes sense in your village or your church. Will you do that for me? Good. Hold each other accountable throughout the year as you're reading and you're studying and you're growing in your faith. Read through and discuss and talk about the law that God gave to Israel. Take a book like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and read through it two, three, four, five times in a month. Live with that book for a while. Don't just read a passage here or a passage there. And when you're done, move to the next book and do the same thing. You can preach from all different passages, Old and New Testament, on Sundays. But in your own personal spiritual growth, I want you to soak in, marinate in the Word of God in these books by immersing yourself in them. And I make you one promise if you do this. If you do this with the books of the Old Testament, prayerfully asking God to give you wisdom and guidance, to point out to you things in the Torah that was meant to point Israel back to God. As you do this, your understanding and your joy in reading the New Testament and Jesus 
आनंद We'll go from grainy black and white to full high definition color. So this year as I leave you, I hope that I have at least stirred within you an interest and a desire to go deeper into your knowledge of the foundational books of the Bible, the Torah. Because this is the Bible that Jesus read. And it's the Bible that Jesus embodied. The more you know Torah, the better you know Jesus. So let me pray for you and then let's call it an evening. Okay, he, he has a question about the eating pork. So since uh, it's the pork, 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 pig, pig meat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he's asking that uh, should we eat or not something? I Okay, uh, somebody, uh, some, one of the preachers came to Darimbadi area, in his area, and he is preaching about uh, not to eating pork. So it's something like sinful. If you are eating, you are the son of David. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did Jesus declare all foods clean? Did Jesus declare all foods clean? Then why is there even a question about it? Would you listen to some preacher or would you listen to Jesus? I would stick with Jesus. I'm more to say about that. You must say that. Another one or question. The Caleb that you spoke, you know, Caleb. 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 But he is from from Judah. He is from the numbers thirteen six. Yes. Yes. Are you listening? Yes. Turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. 
Turn to Genesis 15. Chapter, 9, uh, chapter 15, verse 18. Wait till they're there. I want you to see this with your own eyes. God says on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. The land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, and a bunch of other ones that we don't know. That second term, Kenizzites. You can circle that in your Bible if you want to. Turn to the book of Numbers. Chapter 32. Not one of the men, 20 years old or more, who came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Caleb's father was Jephunneh, So Caleb's ancestry was a Kenizzite. The very people of the land whom God had promised to Abraham. This Kenizzite named Jephunneh 
had apparently come to faith in the God of Israel at some point. And had entered into and lived with and in the tribe of Judah. This is not the and Judah is the tribe of Jesus. Judah is the tribe that Jesus would come from. And this is not the only Gentile who would be in the line of Jesus in that family. Because Judah had a child or had sons through Tamar. And also, uh, Rahab, who lived in Jericho, was brought into the people of God. And a Moabite woman named Ruth also entered into the tribe of Judah and became the great 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 grandmother of King David. Do you understand? Yeah, does that make sense? This is why you read all of Torah. That detail didn't arise until Numbers chapter 32. And by the time most people get to Numbers 32, they don't even remember what a Kenizzite is from Genesis chapter 15. Because they weren't paying attention to the confusing names. <laughs> Does that answer the question? Good. Will you let me pray for you now so we can all go eat? Because I know you're tired and you're hungry after such a long day. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters from Candewal. Thank you that we can all travel and come here and enjoy the beauty of your creation here in Gopalpur.
thank you for the time together that you've allowed us, even though it's been short. I pray that seeds have been planted within the hearts and the minds of these men and women that you've called. And that they will leave this seminar feeling encouraged and empowered and energized to go back to their people. Lord, I pray for the challenges that they will face as they labor in your fields that you've called them to. I pray for their safety that they would find favor in the eyes of the people around them. And I pray that even in the face of persecution or discrimination, that they would stand strong for your word. And that just like Jesus and Stephen and all of the others who gave their life for the gospel, that they would be willing, if needed, to follow you to the very end. That they would have the assurance and the comfort that what they are doing is not laboring in vain. That by loving their neighbors and serving those, even those who hate them, I pray that they would see through your eyes that they are building a kingdom out of human souls rather than bricks or stones. And unlike the buildings that we make here on earth that crumble and fall over time. The kingdom you are building through these men and women. Will stand forever. And that one day we will all dwell together in new glorified bodies. 
on a new creation, a new earth that's been cleansed and restored. With all of the faithful who have labored in the kingdom for all of the years. And we will see more than anything else, we will see your face. So let this be our motivation. Let this be what energizes us. As we continue to labor together in Candomal and in Charlotte. Until you see fit to bring us together again. Lord, I ask for a safe trip home this week for these men and women. And a safe trip for me, Ron, and Shannon back to And we ask this all in the name of the Messiah of Israel. The high priest. The final sacrifice. The Son of God. The true temple. Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Amen.